When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi everyone and welcome to the Irish Times Food Month podcast. We're so thrilled to bring you this podcast over the next coming weeks, exploring what we cook, what we order and when we're out for dinner, what we pick off the off-license and why. I'm your host Lily Higgins. I've been writing about food here for the Irish Times for the past few years and I've been drinking alcohol since it was legal. Um, I do love wine though and I've learning more about wine this year and what I have discovered is that you never fully know everything about wine which is uh, really important. I have loads left to learn. So each week I'm going to guide you with these Sherpas or wizards, um, the Irish Times writers. They'll be telling you everything they need to know and some secrets too. We'll be talking about the fabulous old and new world so we can all explore it together. Now, today I'm delighted to be joined by the wonderful John Wilson. John has edited five editions of The Wine Guide, which is Ireland's best-selling wine book and my Bible. And he's the Irish Times wine correspondent. Hi, John. Welcome Hi, to the show. Lily. Thanks Great a million for coming in. Yeah, I was thinking we'd start with a drink, but it's actually quite early in the morning. So, yeah, I know. It's a bit <laughs> have, early in the day. We'll have to give that one a skip. Yeah. So what I was going to do first is start with some um, really easy, quick questions for you, um, just to get sort of a little bit of a feel for it. So um, one of the things I was going to say is that you started with a degree in history. Yes. And now you've ended up here being a wine writer and yeah. it must be have been an incredible journey because I don't imagine any child would sort of start off thinking, I want to write about wine, you know. You, so how did you get there? You don't. It was it's sort of a... Not knowing what I wanted to do was part of it. But yes. I grew up in a house. My my mum was a great chef, cook, mm-hmm. really good cook. And my dad was a French teacher. So quite unusually in Irish homes, about once a month, he'd buy a bottle of wine. Okay. So I nearly became a chef. I was dragged along <laughs> to Carol Brewer Street at the age of 16 because I loved food. Yeah. Uh, but every chef I talked to said, don't do it, don't do it. You'll never get a social life. Yeah. So... Uh, I ended up doing history in college because I'd always loved history. And when I left, I messed around for a couple of years, gave my (laughs) parents no end of grief. But I I became interested in wine, I suppose, in college. I remember bringing a bottle of wine to one slightly pretentious party. And I saw this bottle of Beaujolais, it was a Moulin Avant, that was on special offer. And when I opened it there, it was just this explosion of juicy, fresh flavour. And I thought there is something to this wine. So that started me off. Yeah. I actually worked in the wine business for about 15 years, okay. so, buying and selling. And going back to the Beaujolais, so that was sort of the bottle that sort of made you think, wow. That was the light bulb moment. Yeah. I thought, wow, this is fantastic. And it wasn't expensive. Yeah. Um, I because really like this. As you know, now there's a big trend in the sort of glug glug wines, you know, the wines, they're so quaffable and drinkable. And it's usually the light um, sort of uh, carbonic ones like the Beaujolais that yeah. are sort of um, introducing... A sort of an audience that wouldn't have usually drunk wine, sort of the younger wine drinkers are being, it's their gateway wine. It is, and I think Beaujolais is a great example because Mm -hmm. it it was ultra fashionable at one stage, then just died completely. And Beaujolais Nouveau, which is coming up shortly, was this fantastic event that just went horribly wrong. But now it's come back into fashion (laughs) again. And, you know, it's light, refreshing wines that you don't have to think too much about that go really well with food. And they're not blockbusters 
oysters at 15% alcohol. Exactly. So, yeah, they're light, refreshing. They're more sociable wines, aren't yeah, they? You know, you're absolutely. not going to pass out at a party after Beaujolais. Well, I they don't make think. you want to have another glass. Yeah, and you exactly. Can. If it's low in alcohol, you can do that. <laughs> Um, and so, obviously, we all have on our calendar Thursday, the 15th of November, Beaujolais Nouveau Day this year. Yes. And what events have you planned for it or what advice could you give people for enjoying it? Well, what I, it's actually quite hard to find Beaujolais Nouveau. It was originally just a celebration of the harvest, that mm-hmm. wine that had, was just stopping fermenting. Mm-hmm. People had a party with it. Then it became expensive, which it shouldn't be. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of the really cheap ones were nasty. I mean, horribly chemical. <laughs> they tasted of bananas and bubblegum. What I would do, I know two people who are having celebrations, Green Man Wines in Terenuerar and Terroir in Donnybrook have one of the best ones. And they're just going to open up a bottle on the day and I think you can go in and have a glass. uh, And just celebrate. It's really, it's the the birth of a vintage. So that's what you're celebrating. That's fantastic. And I would think sort of the more I learn about wine, the more I think as soon as my kids are old enough, I'm just going to go to Georgia work on a vintage, you know, see it through from harvest to bottle. And, you know, I would love to do something like that. But have you ever considered doing that yourself? I've considered it. Mm-hmm. Um, part of me would love to, although I always had young children and family, <laughs> so that prevented it. Um, also, picking grapes is backbreaking work. Well, I'd I sort of like it. to watch I'd other like to pe- look at it. Yeah, the, yeah exactly. The, the sort of overseeing I have no problem with and I have sort of semi-done it for a day yeah. here and there. But it's a fascinating process and one that goes back, you know, 8,000 years. Yeah. And it's, at its heart, it's very simple. It's and picking grapes and jumping up and down on exactly. them. Exactly. Like, do a lot of producers still do that? Like, do they sort of crush the fruit by feet? Anymore, not as much. Do there they? would be a few people do it, and the fo- yeah. the foot and your body weight is actually perfect for yeah. for crushing grapes and creating juice. So they would do it in places like the Jura Valley, making mm-hmm. port, where they link arms and sing and dance, and it's fantastic to Brilliant. see that. But most places nowadays, they would have. Um, presses to do it for you. Yeah. And I wonder, like, I was thinking, like, a lot of the time, some of the old uh, traditions like that, like, they would be for, so the wine doesn't become too tannic. They're not crushing the seeds and the stems and everything. And like you said, it's the perfect weight. But also, it must be introducing positive bacteria it's sort of almost a reflection of the terroir. The people that made it are actually going into making the wine as well. Yeah, yeah if you have yeasts floating around, they're <laughs> going to come into contact with the juice. Yeah. Uh, and part of what's happened in wine over the last 10, 15 years is the reintroduction mm-hmm. of using your local indigenous yeasts rather than getting a packet and putting the powder in, which is what yeah. very large-scale producers would, would have to do, really, because yeah. they can't afford and I suppose they want to control each vintage and people want to, they want to taste exactly the same thing when they pick up a bottle of X wine, you know, they, want, they know what they want. Um, and so you were writing recently as well about what's behind the label. So we're all very concerned about what goes into our food and free range and organic. But um, some people seem to be, you know, buying an organic plump chicken and then just grabbing a bottle of their favourite wine without actually, I mean, the information isn't there. It's not there. And I mean, it's it's weird that of all foods and even a bottle of Coca-Cola, as I said, mm-hmm. has to have all the ingredients on it. But if you buy beer or spirits or wine, you don't have to put any ingredients on it other than sulfur dioxide. Yeah, it's um, and, you know, people have this idea, not, not surprisingly, that mm-hmm. wine is very natural. Well, actually, 
a lot of the time it's not. <laughs> and it tends to be at the upper end and the lower end. If you go into a supermarket, you have these mass-produced wines. And I don't knock them because they introduce people to mm-hmm. wine, they get people started and they're inexpensive. And then the luxury wines, which are mainly aimed at oligarchs and wealthy businessmen, <laughs> they have to taste plush and similar and not challenging. <laughs> it's in the middle you have the, the really interesting people. That's very true. And then you said yourself there about, you know, wine is supposed to be a natural thing. Yep. And what do you think about, um, like, I'm a big fan of the sort of law intervention, sort of biodynamic wines and everything. And do you think it is sort of a trend that's here to stay, even though it's been around, obviously, for 6,000 years or whatever? But, you know, do you think it's sort of a marketing thing now or do you think this is the way it's going to go, the future of wine? I, I think it's certainly going to have an impact on wine. Mm. I sort of liken it to, I'm old enough to remember punk when it first came out <laughs> yeah. and you had it blasted away the cobwebs all of the pretensions and yeah. brought music rock music back to its roots now, some of the bands were awful mm-hmm. uh, and they faded very quickly from the scene but some of the best ones like the jam the clash went on to become the establishment because yeah. they rewrote the rules and i think that's happening in wine with natural wine although it's it's indefinable. Yeah. But also what's been happening over the last 20 years is you've got a lot of growers, including some of the very best ones like Domaine de la Romani Comte, Felton Road over in New Zealand, who are quietly biodynamic. They're very low intervention. Mm-hmm. They would never call themselves natural wine, but they are making it in a very low ent- intervention sort of way. Yeah. What I think has really happened in the last 10 years is largely as a result of the recession Europe and parts of the New World have gone back to their roots. So Mm. instead of being faced with more Cabernet Sauvignon and Chardonnay, they've gone and looked at their own indigenous grape varieties. They've gone back Mm -hmm. talking to their grandfathers about wine as it used to make. So you've got areas like Galicia coming up. You've got areas like Madrid. If you go to Italy, you've got Mount Etna. You've got Lambrusco. Mm -hmm. Even in Chile, they have vines going back 200 years in Itata, making really different wines from really different grapes. And that comes in with the natural wine because there are some fantastic ones and wine is a very natural product. There are also some pretty awful ones. <laughs> I know. And I, I think that can be the problem is if you, um, you know, the price doesn't seem to dictate uh, the taste with natural wine. You can get a really cheap, really good one. Yep. You get a really expensive one that tastes absolutely terrible and could turn you off forever. Um, but I think that's really interesting about the indigenous grape varieties. seems to be incredible. And I was going to say as well, like the terroir, are you a firm believer in that? Absolutely. No, uh, wine is one of the very, very few drinks that actually speaks of a place. And I've sat in Burgundy with a producer looking out over his vineyards, Mm -hmm. tasting three wines made by the same person in exactly the same way from three different fields. Amazing. And they all taste slightly different. And for a nerd, an anorak like me, this is fascinating. Some (laughs) people are not quite so interested. But wine does speak of a place. But I always say to people, if you get a chance to travel, go Mm -hmm. to a wine country, because it's only when you eat the food, see the culture, the history, the economy, then you start to understand why the wine tastes the way it does. I mean, say my father is the son of a farmer, but he always says like one particular field grew the best potatoes. And I think that's just the way it is with wine as well. You know, I mean, it's it's about um, like agriculture. It's an agriculture at the end of the day and it's about growing and it's about the practices in the vineyard. Um, and I suppose that's all reflected in the bottle. And I was going to say with global warming as well, 
Um, I mean, is there going to be no Australian wine in a few years, do you think? Well, I think there's going to be Australian wine grown in different places mm-hmm. because there are some very cool parts of Australia. And if you go to Tasmania, for instance, yeah. at the moment they're producing brilliant sparkling wine, mm-hmm. Pinot Noir and uh, Riesling and lighter Chardonnay as well, lighter wines. Yeah. As it becomes warmer, I think they'll find it they easier. Their- and if you look at the UK they're now starting to produce some really top quality sparkling wine. And here in Ireland then we have um, wine being made in Lusk and then in Wicklow, um, Moine, they make their, um, it's more of a fermented berries like blackberries and strawberries just for as a dessert wine almost. But um, do you think realistically in a few years time um, that, you know, we should be investing in south facing hillsides you know, in, in with limestone soils. Tell me. <laughs> uh, I, I think we're a bit, that'd be a bit premature. I mean, I think what's happening in Wicklow, um, Wicklow wines, uh, Wicklow Way wines, I think are fantastic. Mm-hmm. They, I've visited them and it's just like a normal winery, yeah. except they're using fresh fruit to create these wines. So it's not wine as we know it, but it actually is a lovely drink. Some of them are fantastic. Yeah, they're beautiful dessert as well. Yeah, and David up in Lusk is producing... Mm-hmm. Um, the best Irish wine, but it's the only Irish wine. I know. <laughs> but he's growing yeah. it under cover. Incredibly and difficult conditions, I can imagine. Difficult conditions, yeah. and it's getting much better. Some of his recent vintages have been very good. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you always hear the best way to make um, a bit of money in wine is to start with a lot of money, yeah. isn't it? You know, so it's, it's a real um, labour of love, I'd say. Um, so then I was going to ask you as well about, I've been going to a lot of uh, wine tastings. And I mean... Does spitting out your wine ever feel comfortable? Ever? I don't. I don't imagine how it could be. You, know? <laughs> you, you get very used to it, <laughs> and you get better at spitting. That's part of it. It is difficult, but if you're faced with a hundred bottles, I know that you have to taste. <laughs> um, spitting it out is the only Necessity. way to do it. Yeah. Well, I think um, earlier in the year I was in Raw in uh, London, um, the Natural Wine Festival, and there was some very creative spitting going on there. You know, it was almost an art in itself, I think. So um, so I'm going to have to get better at that, I well, think. Well, they, they say you, when you're brushing your teeth every morning, practice your spitting <laughs> yeah, after that's that. Right, that's too. the way you do it. Because I find myself drinking water and swirling around my mouth, you know, for days afterwards, just sort of doing the same thing. Um, so I was going to ask you as well, I um, sort of put it out there on Instagram to ask people any questions that they would have for you. Because, of course... Um, I'd say it's it's funny because it's your job, but I'd say you get asked about it all the time. It's like having a doctor in the family. You know, people coming up to you with all these queries. So I have an email from Daniel and he said, um, I've been asked to pick the wines for dinner on Christmas Day. There'll be about 14 people, so I'd imagine all different ages as well. Um, And where do I even begin? Okay, Mm -hmm. well, I'd imagine he's being traditional and starting off with smoked salmon or something like Mm -hmm. that and going on to turkey. Um, I would say there's there's very few things you can't have. So go for wines that you enjoy or you think your family would enjoy. Mm -hmm. My preference is, I think, if you're having smoked salmon, a Chardonnay, so either white Burgundy or a Chardonnay from anywhere around the world or a Chenin Blanc from South Africa, it'll go with both the star and with the turkey if because there are people who only like to drink white wine throughout. Yeah. For a red wine, I would go for something light and not too tannic. Mm-hmm. Bordeaux, which a lot of Irish people go for, is a little bit dry. Mm-hmm. But if you go for a Rioja from Spain, a Grenache from Australia, or what I usually go for is a, a nice red Burgundy. There's only a few of us there. Lovely. So a nice <laughs> Pinot Noir would go very well with your turkey. Um, and if you had to pick a favourite grape as well, you know, a, a versatile grape, you know, that you could have good young or old or, you know, what would be your favourite grape? 
Can I have a red and a white? Definitely, Okay. Yeah. Well, with white wine, I think I'd go for Riesling. Either Riesling Lovely. or Chardonnay. Riesling comes in every style. You can get it sparkling, mm-hmm. dry, sweet, whatever. It lasts forever, but you can drink it really young. With red wine, I think I'd have to go for Pinot Noir because Brilliant. I just adore red burgundy. Yeah, that's, that's your Christmas sorted, so I'm going to get you them. I'll send yes. you them. Thank you. <laughs> um, and then I have a direct message on Instagram from Alison. She said, I'd love to invest in a good bottle of wine as a gift for my husband's birthday, but I feel it's so risky spending so much money. She hasn't said how much money now. Yes. Um, on a bottle that we can drink, we can't drink for another four years. So what's your advice? I think she just doesn't want to sort of be selling the wine and then to open it and realise. And it's dead. Yeah, which exactly. is what happens so much mm-hmm. of the time. I'm guilty of that as well. What I would say to Alison is go to your local independent wine merchant. Mm-hmm. Um, these are people who actually, people get very scared or mm-hmm. they find it intimidating to walk in. Most of them are very normal people, hugely knowledgeable about wine mm-hmm. and say what you want to do and don't be afraid to say how much you want to spend because they want you to come back next week and every other week and it's a font of knowledge. The traditional one would be a good red Bordeaux but good Burgundy mm-hmm. will keep forever. Good Rioja will last forever as well. So there's lots of wines to choose from um, but I would say go to your local indie. Brilliant. So you get, you know, buy one save one for later as well. She could drink one, drink one later. Well, the ideal <laughs> thing is to buy six bottles and drink one a year oh, and see it? how it develops. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah see yeah. how it's aging. Yeah. So the way there's not that much wine being made here in Ireland. So do you find you have to sort of travel a lot and, you know, visit wineries and winemakers abroad? Yeah, it's one of those tough things. Really. <laughs> <laughs> it's such a tough job. You just, yeah, someone is. has to do it, yeah. No, it is. I mean, I, as I said earlier, I'm fascinated by visiting places and yeah. the, the culture. And it's unusual that, I suppose, that wine is not made in Ireland. But we we have a huge tradition going back to the wine geese who went over to Bordeaux and to Burgundy. And back in the Middle Ages, Ireland was a huge importer of wines from Bordeaux particularly, mm-hmm. but other areas. But yeah, it's I mean, wine tourism has become mm-hmm. huge in the last decade. Every area you go now, a winery will offer you both a visit but possibly food. I was just looking at one winery online this morning in Rioja. It's the first one that has a hotel, a restaurant, oh, wow. a spa and a winery all in the one building. You don't building. have to leave the place. So you don't yeah, have to exactly. ever leave the place. Yeah. Well, that's the dream situation, isn't it? And, and I was going to ask you about sort of cooking like your perfect meal that you would have during the week and what wines you would pair with it, just sort of really easy and... Um, you know, sort of to show that wine can go in every day. It's not just a yeah. special occasion wine. Well, I try not to drink wine three days a week because I'm very well aware of the business that I'm in. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think people get very uptight about will this wine go with this food? Yeah. My rule is most wine goes with most food. Most food tastes better with wine and certainly most wine tastes better with a bit of food. And if you throw in good company as well, you're away. (laughs) Uh, I mean, I suppose my favourite meals, if I had to choose my last meal, it would be start off with either a crab mayonnaise with a Riesling or a Chardonnay. And then I love chicken. Just if you want to show off yeah. wine, I buy roast organic chicken or roast an organic yeah. chicken one day a week. And that is the best foil for most red wines and a lot of white wines, too. Oh, so yeah. A lot of people wouldn't even think that with red and chicken. Yeah. I mean, you'd see it a lot when you're out having dinner. People sort of panic when the wine list comes around and everyone's having different things, you know. Yep. I mean, you yep. must get thrown the wine list very often when you're Frequently. In a group. And this is why I love short wine lists, because I think <laughs> yeah. it's the sommelier or the waiter's job to make the pre-choice for you. So you've just, I mean, most people, when they go in, they know how much they want to spend. Yeah. And if you have 
you know, a couple of dozen maximum wines at reasonable prices. I, I really get depressed when I get thrown the wine list and it's this massive Bible that you have yeah. to spend three quarters of an hour and everyone's looking at you saying, I know. can we have <laughs> some wine, please? You can feel your cheeks burning up. Yeah. Um, but John, thanks a million for coming in. This is absolutely brilliant. Um, and loads of, I was going to say food for thought, but obviously um, loads of wine for thought. Um, and people can contact you. Your website is Wilson on Wilson Wine. Wilson on Wine, yep. yeah. And they can contact you on Twitter. Yes. And you're on Instagram. Are you kind of? I am. I'm trying it out. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure what I'm doing, but I am. And, um, and so you're open to questions and contact people all the time. And of course, the yeah. column is in the Irish Times every week. Yeah. And Jay Wilson at irishtimes.com gets through to Brilliant. me as well. So. And I think your articles are real cut out and keep ones as well. I know I have loads of them that I've kept. Yes, I love them. <laughs> um, and of course, your book is the perfect Christmas present as well, the 2019 um, Wilson and Wine book. Thanks, Lily John. Thank you're you. You're welcome. Thanks, Lily. Join me in the next episode when I'll be talking to Irish Times food critic, Catherine Cleary. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.